My goodness, it's been a crazy week. Uh, <laughs> I apologize. But this morning, uh, we are back in the sanctuary, and we are back in Romans 8. Uh, we are picking back up. A couple of weeks ago, Brother Andy preached uh, Romans 14, being led by the Spirit. So this week, we are going to be in Romans chapter 8, and we're going to be in verses 15 through 17. So if you would please open your Bibles to Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 15. The word of the Lord reads, For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirits that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may be glorified with him. This is the reading of the word of the Lord. Join me in a word of prayer. Lord, as we approach your word, um, Father, may you teach us from it. May you, open, may you open our eyes to the glorious truths that are found within it. And may you be our teacher. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we continue in this, uh, this eighth chapter of Romans, um, and really this whole chapter is about the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. And, you know, and as we think about the life of the believer, just a life in general, one of the, um, one of the greatest difficulties in the Christian life is struggling with assurance, the assurance of salvation. Um, there was a young man that I, I've known since he was a, you know, I think sixth, sixth grade is when I met him. He was in our youth at our old church, but uh, he's in his 20s now, about to get married. And one of the things about him, he always struggled with his assurance. He was always like, oh, I just don't know. I'm a wretched, vile sinner. I don't know. I just don't know. And, and finally, uh, I think one of our pastors we had on staff at our old church told him, you know, the fact that you're sitting here constantly needing counseling about this tells me you would never be convicted this way if you didn't have a saving faith. So it's a, we struggle with assurance. And as believers, as we grow in the knowledge of God, we begin to see who he truly is and who we are and how we've sinned against this holy, righteous, and just God we begin to look at ourselves and our own works and we begin to question, could we truly be saved? Um, and as we struggle with this, the great fear of all mankind, the fear of death, begins to grip us. And uh, it's the great unknown, right? It's the great unknown. I mean, it is even, you know, there's a huge genre of books and movies about the afterlife that are extremely popular, extremely popular within Christian bookstores if you, if you go in. But I would caution everybody in those. Um, so many of them, they, they, they say things that are not biblical, that we can't back them up with Scripture. And we want to be careful in that because we want to stay in line with Scripture because they tell us things that sound good to us. You know, our itching ears, we want to hear it. But we have to stay in line with Scripture and we must discern what is true and what is not. Now, in John Bunyan's classic Pilgrim's Progress, one of my favorite books. Um, I was not a reader up until about five or six years ago. Okay, maybe ten now. Time is really catching up with me. But Pilgrim's Progress, I highly encourage it to everyone. There's a children's edition. There's even a cartoon available that you can get on Amazon Prime. 
It is a very good allegory of the Christian life. But um, Bunyan has a beautiful description of Christian and hopeful, the characters in the book. By the way, if you have never read the book, you don't have to question what, who the characters are. Their names explain exactly who they are. Boastful, Christian, hopeful, faithful, arrogant. That's their names. But anyway, it, it, it goes into as Christian and hopeful, they str- Christian struggles with assurance as they cross the river of death. And we're just going to have some story time because I love this book so much. We're just going to read it to you as they cross the river of death into this great unknown. It says, with, with this, the pilgrims resigned themselves to face the water. Upon entering, Christian began to sink and cried out to his good friend, Hopeful, I sink in the deep water. The billows go over my head. All the waves go over me. Then Hopeful said, Be courageous, my brother. I feel the bottom and it is firm. Christian cried out further, Ah, friend, the sorrows of death have totally encompassed me. I shall not see the land that flows with milk and honey. And with those words, a great darkness and horror fell upon Christian so that he could not see before him. To a large degree, he had lost his senses, so that he was unable to remember or talk intelligently about all those sweet refreshments that he had experienced along the way of his pilgrimage. Rather, all the words he spoke revealed his present terror of mind and the fear that he would die in the river and never gain interest into the celestial city. Those who stood by could see he was greatly troubled with thoughts of the sins he had committed, both before and since he had become a pilgrim. It was also clear that he was troubled with visions of demons and evil spirits. The words he spoke reflected this over and over. Therefore, Hopeful struggled in his attempts to keep his brother's head above water. Sometimes Christian would seem to have sunk down for good, but after a short time he would, he would rise to the surface again as one half dead. Hopeful attempted to comfort him, saying, Brother, I see the gate and the men standing nearby to welcome us. But Christian answered, It is you. It is you they are waiting for. You have been hopeful ever since I first knew you. And so have you, Hopeful said. Ah, brother, Christian's face looked deeply troubled. Surely, if I was right with the king, he would rise now to rescue me. But on account of my sins, he has brought me into this snare and abandoned me. Then Hopeful said, My brother, you have forgotten the text where it says of the wicked. There is no pain in their death, but their strength is firm. They are not troubled as other men, neither are are they plagued with other men. These troubles and distresses you are experiencing in these waters are no indication that God has abandoned you. Rather, they are sent to test you to see whether or not you will recall the evidences of his past goodness and rely upon him in your present distress. Then I saw in my dream that Christian was deep in thought a while and hopeful continued to speak to him. Be courageous. Jesus makes you whole. That was just a beautiful description of the struggles we can face as Christians. And what happens is when we begin to struggle with insurance, we take our focus off of God. And we begin to focus on our own works. But as the Spirit works in our lives, the gift of assurance comes to us through adoption. And we'll see that today. In fact, I've titled this message, The Spirit of Assurance. 
And we see in here, as we look at, at the continued work of the Spirit, we come today, the Spirit of adoption. And in verse 15, it, it begins with the word for, where Paul is reinforcing the Spirit's work in the lives of those that are led by the Spirit, the true believers. So as God saves us, he regenerates us, he allows us to repent of our sins and believe in him through Christ, we receive, we are given the Spirit of God. This word receive here, it is in a passive text. It is, it is as we, we receive a gift, it's, it's given to us. Paul reminds us that the Spirit of God we, he reminds us here, first of all, in, this, in verse 15, what the Spirit of God is not. And the first point we see here is there's assurance of freedom. So we are no longer controlled by a spirit of slavery. Now, if you remember from a few weeks ago, we defined the word spirit in the context we see here in chapter 8 as a controlling, ruling, or governing authority, something that has authority over us. And... And before salvation, all of us, every one of us, are enslaved to sin. It rules over us. It's the spirit of, uh, of fear and death. The spirit of slavery, it leads to fear. And apart from Christ, there is no hope. There is no assurance. There is only fear. And in this state, we are constantly seeking happiness in worldly things. We are seeking fulfillment in what the world can offer. And, and as believers... If when we do this, we continually end up where King Solomon ended up in the book of Ecclesiastes. That apart from God, everything is meaningless. And the sad, the sad part, this is what's truly sad. In our natural state, we never come to that realization. In that natural sin state, we are continually... We don't realize that, that we are held captive to this. And we'll pass from this life satisfied in the things that we have done. We've done good and, and, and go comfortably. As in Pilgrim's Progress, it said that the, the wicked man passes comfortably into eternity. And to think about this, that, that, that so often people pass from this life and they do not even understand the gravity of the situation that they're in. And this should motivate us to share the gospel, speak of the impending doom, to give a little more pilgrim's progress away. In the beginning, Christian, as his eyes are opened, he has a book in his hand, a burden on his back, and he's telling everyone about the doom that's going to come to the city of destruction that is coming. And he's trying to find a way out. And we should be the same. We should realize that there are people that this is the fate they are facing and they don't realize it. But as believers, we will struggle with assurance. And if you don't, that might be cause for a little concern. All of us at times are going to struggle with this. It's just a reality of the Christian life. But we must remember that it is through the work of Christ that our assurance is found. It is always when we take our eyes off him. We no longer belong to the spirit of slavery. And we have received a greater gift, this gift of adoption. And if you notice in this, in this passage, received is past tense. So if you are a believer, you possess this. You possess this adoption. It is yours. Which brings us to our second point we see in this passage. It's assurance. Our assurance is through adoption. <clears throat> now, adoption is a term that... that that we all understand, we, we know what it means in our context, in this country, uh, in our culture. And it, 
It's not a bad picture of, of the word, how adoption is defined here, but it's, it, it, it doesn't give us a full view. Um, and what's interesting, this coming from the book of Romans, in the Roman culture, adoption was way different than ours. So in the Roman culture, adoption was in order for someone to find a suitable heir. So let's say a father, he has great wealth or great authority, and um, he has a son he's not real pleased with. He doesn't feel like his son should inherit, he should get his inheritance. That father can then begin searching out a suitable heir, someone he feels like deserves to inherit all he has. So he'll begin the process and he'll find someone that he likes, his characteristics, or his attributes. They begin the process. So the first process of this adoption would be that the, 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 the young man he's going to adopt would be completely removed from his family. He would have no ties with his family at all. Then he becomes part of the new family. And in the new family, all his debts are wiped away. Any legal trouble he was in, all of it is wiped away. He starts fresh and new as a member of this family and the rightful heir. The third step would be there would be seven witnesses that would, that would attest to this to affirm this adoption of this young man into this family. So that adoption in a Roman culture was about finding a suitable heir. Not quite what we see. Some regards, yes, as to what Paul is talking about here as adoption, but not quite a full picture. But we can begin to piece things together. Now, we don't see the word adoption used in the Old Testament, but we have, we have examples of adoption. Um, think about Moses and Pharaoh's daughter. She adopts him. She takes, she takes him into their family. Um, Esther and Mordecai, Esther's parents are, are dead and Mordecai, her uncle takes her in and is, and is caretaker for her. But probably the best picture that we see in the old Testament that gives, that begins to show us what this term adoption means for the believer is the, um, the example we have in second Samuel four in the context where David and Meph- I'm going to butcher this, Mephibosheth. I'm going to say this about 10 times, so y'all, y'all just hang with me. Mephibosheth. So Mephibosheth is the crippled son of Jonathan, King Saul's sole descendant at this time. Now, in many ways, David's adoption of Mephibosheth gives us a picture of God's adoption of us. So in this, David takes the initiative and he seeks him out. He brings him into the palace, even though he is, he is the heir, the sole heir of the man that repeatedly tried to kill him. Now, culturally, David would be justified in killing him. He would be. The culture says, yep, that's fine. You, you could do it. But David, he shows mercy and grace to Mephibosheth. He was crippled in both feet. He was completely helpless. He could not render any benefit to David. He could only accept the gift of the sovereign king, David. David brings him in, and he dines at the table as his own son. John MacArthur says of this adoption that this is a beautiful picture of the spiritual adoption 
whereby God graciously and lovingly seeks out unworthy men and women on his own initiative and takes them as children. Because of their adoption, believers will share the full inheritance of the Son. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, it, uh, Paul quotes from the, the Old Testament prophets. It says, Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord Almighty. And again, he reinforces this, this, this idea of adoption, Ephesians 1.5. It says, God predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intentions of his will. Under the law, we were children of wrath, but now we have been adopted into God's family. And in Galatians, it even says that he did this to redeem those who were under the law so that we might receive adoptions as, adoption as sons. Now, as we continue on in this verse... As sons and daughters of God, we have this wonderful gift, this honor, this true privilege to cry out, Abba, Father. <clears throat> As adopted children, we have an intimate and close relationship with God, that we can come before him with our burdens, with our requests, with our praises, and come to him as a loving father. In doing some research on this phrase, cry, Abba, Father, I came across a note in a, in a biblical dictionary that was very interesting. So the context of the verb, we're looking at the, the context of this word, it is a verb. And the meaning of it in, in this, this, uh, this passage is the appeal of believers to God. So appealing to the Father. But there was a note that preceded it that I found very interesting. And speaking of this Greek verb, it says, A recent translator renders this verb in Matthew 27.50 as an utter scream. This is a deplorable mistranslation and a misrepresentation of the nature of the Lord's cry. See, this word is not a pathetic, hopeless cry. This is a confident call out to a heavenly father, a confident appeal. But we also, we, we have this t a tendency to humanize this title, Abba, Father, because the closest translation we could get in English from the Aramaic would be dad or daddy. Now, we tend to fall to one extreme or the other. Um, we can easily become flippant about our thoughts about God, and as, a, as, as God is our daddy, we're going to crawl up in his lap, all these fine and wonderful things that we think about maybe as our, from our own childhood. But nowhere in Scripture do we read anything like this. Revelation 4. Revelation 4, John is given, is able to look into the throne room. God is on his throne. He's surrounded by four living creatures, surrounded by a glass sea, surrounded by 24 elders. There's not really an approach to the throne for those that are worshiping him. Now, God is holy, righteous, sovereign creator. And from eternity past, he has chose us to be adopted as his children. He adopted us through the sacrifice of his one and only firstborn heir. And when we consider what God has done to bring us into the, his fold, we should have respect and reverence for him and not let our minds drift to lowly thoughts from our own human experience. 
but we can also err the other way. Maybe our experience with our earthly father is so terrible, we could, could not even think of God in this way. The great reformer Martin Luther was like this. He said, I could never pray to God as father because my father was such a taskmaster. I could never think of God in a way that my mind thought of father. Um, In order to keep from falling into either side of these lowly views of God, we must continually return to the scriptures. Remember who God is by renewing our minds by what he has revealed of himself to us. He is perfectly holy. He is righteous. He is just. He deserves our obedient honor and praise, but also he is perfectly loving, merciful, and he allows us to call him Father. He is our heavenly Father. So we have to stay in the scriptures or we're going we're gonna to drift to one side or the other. As believers, we are sons and, and daughters of the Father. And we can draw near to him. We can draw near to his throne. We can come to God with confidence and peace. When we are saved, our old sinful self is completely canceled in God's eyes. And we have no more reason to fear sin and death. Because Christ has conquered that on our behalf. Through him, we have become true children of God. With all the privileges and benefits. And until the day that we are glorified and in his presence... We have the gift of the Holy Spirit to remind us of who we are. The spirit of adoption means that we have a governing authority that brings us into the family of God. And the Holy Spirit assures us of our status as children of God. And it's in times of when when we are compelled by the love of God to to, um, love others, to uh, pray to him. To generously give, when we experience answered prayers, when we see God working, when we're able to look back at our own lives and see how God has moved, that is the Holy Spirit reminding us of who we are. As we grow in Christ likeness, as we grow in holiness, these are the things, the markers we can look back to, and the Holy Spirit reminding us of whose we are, that we truly are the children of God. As his children, as his heirs, this kind of brings us to this third point. Um, Our privileges as adopted, the privileges of adoption. Now that we are adopted, now that we are God's children, what are these privileges that we have received? The greatest privilege, um, we've already talked about it quite a bit, is being able to speak to God and relate to him as a good and loving father. This relationship to God as Father is a foundation of many other blessings of the Christian life. And it becomes the primary way in which we relate to God. It is through prayer. We have the great gift that we can come before him as a loving Father. One of the greatest gifts the believer that we can ever have is this right here. That we can come before him. We have the privilege of the good gifts you know, the greatest gift that he, he gives us is the Holy Spirit. And here in Romans 8, it's all about the work of the Holy Spirit. How the Holy Spirit works in the life of the believer. 
And this is a gift that we are given. The gift of the Holy Spirit, it comforts us. It empowers us to do the work of ministry. It empowers us to grow in Christ's likeness and to live the Christian life. As heirs, we have a great eternal inheritance. All the great privileges and blessings of heaven are laid up for us. In John 14, um, Jesus says, I'm going to the Father, and I'm going to prepare a place for you. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. But the greatest of all of that is that we are going to be with him forever. The greatest gift that we have is him. We will be in his presence for eternity, and we will dwell with him. Not only do we have the privilege of the Holy Spirit, we have the privilege of being led by that Holy Spirit. We are no longer slaves to our sinful nature. We are now led by this Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit leads us in paths of obedience. And it always leads us in line with the Scriptures. So the Scriptures are very important. We must stay in the Scriptures. Now, another less popular uh, privilege that we have is the discipline of the Lord. Now, as a parent, you understand it. You discipline your children so that they will grow, they will learn, um, they will obey. You discipline them to keep them safe, to keep them out of trouble. You discipline them for their own good, right? As a parent, it's not always, okay, it's not always fun. No, it's not fun to discipline your children. Not fun at all. But you do it because you know it's the best thing for them. And as children of God, God will discipline us because it is the best thing for us. We may not see it as a privilege, but it truly is. Because through suffering, we grow in Christ's likeness. We grow. We also have the privilege of the church. A full family of God's children, brothers and sisters, to encourage us, to rebuke us, to exhort one another, all to the glory of him. We are here for one another so that we can all continue to grow in his likeness and to glorify him. As members of God's family, we are to be imitator, imitators of God. First Peter uh, chapter 1, as obedient children, do not be conformed to the passions of your former ignorance. But as you who, who called, but as he who called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. Since it is written, you shall be holy, for I am holy. When we walk in paths of righteousness, we honor our heavenly Father and bring glory to him. <coughs> as the Spirit works in our lives, remember who you are. We are no longer slins, sins to slave. We are no longer enslaved to sin. That leads to fear and death. But we are children of God, with the spirit of adoption. We who were once far off can now come near to Him and call Him Father. <clears throat> 
Do you struggle with assurance? Most likely, yes. Go to the scriptures. For the believer, the spirit will never contradict what the scriptures say. The scriptures is where we find our hope. The Holy Scriptures, the Holy Spirit leads us in line with God's word. And in it, we find encouragement and strength. Uh, Some of you may have received a message from Brenda. She said, I think it was yesterday, she got up in the morning and read God's word. And in there was the encouragement she needed. Because yesterday morning was, was a little bit bleak for her. But she went to God's word. And there found encouragement. For those who are not believers, you have not repented of your sin. You have not put your faith in Christ. There is no hope. There is no assurance. There's not. And the call today is for you to repent do not delay as long the the invitation is open to call out to him in repentance and faith as long as you walk this earth but we're not guaranteed tomorrow don't delay call out to him repent and believe act now act now I, I, I don't know what else to say but act now and call out to him. Just to, as the scripture says, today can be the day of your salvation. We, as believers, are children of God. Let's not forget who our Father is. And let's seek to glorify him in all that we do. To his honor, to his glory, not to gain anything. Just because of who he is, we should seek to live lives that bring him honor and glory. Let's pray. Father, Lord, it is with great humility that, that, um, that we can even come before you and, and, and call you Father. Lord, may we never take that privilege you've given us for granted. But also, Lord, may we never fall and err on the other side to where we look at you as some hard taskmaster. But you are a kind and loving Father, Lord. And God, as we, um, as we go out this week, may we, rem- may we remember who we are in you. And that we would strive to live lives that bring you honor and glory. And that we would... We would be a faithful witness to you in our communities and all that we and all those that we encounter. Father Lord, we thank you for this time. We ask this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen.